0: This episode contains graphic content. Listener discretion is highly advised. Hey, you! What's up? And welcome to this week's episode of What the Actual F? With me, your host Harmony. All right. Last week we had two episodes: one where we kept digging into the iceberg conspiracy theory list, and a second that was all about Herbert Baumeister. This episode, however, is completely one hundred percent a listener's idea. And submission. This
1: TikTok is for Harmony. If you are not Harmony, please tag her in this because uh, she needs... I, hi, Harmony. I need to talk to you. Me lovely Harmony. So I have something for you. See, I have been doing research for a podcast that I wanted to start. Don't know how to start it. But I have this whole long thing for an episode. So what I want to do is send you what I have For your next episode if you would like the best thing is it has to do with paranormal and true crime also i thought you should call your following the harm army
0: get it like
1: harmony harm army (laughs) i'm a loser and have no friends
0: now i'm gonna be real with you guys yesterday i sat for about four hours trying to record a podcast episode However, I was a little bit burnt out on my iceberg conspiracy theory list, and I wasn't quite sure if I wanted to do a true crime topic this week. I did decide on a topic, but that may end up being a bonus episode this week, or I might just save it for next week. So last night, after a long day of failing at my podcast, I open up TikTok and go over to my mentions. One of the videos that I see is the one you just heard. Posted by Cass the Kraken, a.k.a. Cassandra Seymour. Also known as one of my most favorite followers and fans and supporters of this podcast. Cassie, if you hear this, I just want to let you know I think you are amazing. I think you're the knees, and I love you to pieces. For real, though. <clears throat> Sorry, back to the show. So I immediately respond to Cassie and let her know that I am very interested. I also love her idea to call all of my followers, fans, and supporters the Harm Army. I love it. So here we are in the episode that Cassie helped create. Before we do start the show, I do want to say one thing. To anyone who ever has an idea or some sort of topic or something you want me to look into when it comes to this podcast, please don't ever hesitate to reach out to me. I am on every single social media platform, and you can write my email for the podcast at what the actual EFF. Harmony at gmail.com. Sorry, that's what the actual EFF. Harmony at gmail.com. I have a habit of saying the when I mean the. Sorry about that. But on every other platform, you can tag my handle. Oh, hey, it's Harmony. And of course, on Facebook, I am Harmony Miller. And that's just for anyone that wants me to look into some kind of mystery, a conspiracy, haunting, a true crime or anything. If you think you have a topic for an episode, please reach out, and I would love to talk to you and learn more. Okay, so let's not keep you guys waiting any longer. And again, thank you so much, Cassie, for this idea. Because of you, this episode is now in existence, so this episode is entirely dedicated to you and your family. Thank you for making this episode a possibility. All right, enough with the intros. Let's begin.
1: I'm ready! I'm ready, I'm ready.
0: Right now, we're heading over to Clark County, Nevada, but we're not going to Nevada to hit up Vegas. Instead, we're gonna be tourists and we're gonna do the damn thing. Yeah, I promise you're gonna appreciate that joke in a second.
2: Hoover Dam, over a thousand feet wide and 727 feet to the bottom. Where can I buy some bait around here? Oh,
3: I love electricity. Eddie says we're gonna get some soon.
2: What a magnificent achievement.
4: Clark, this is a family vacation. Could you try
0: to stay with the family? Oh, I'm sorry. This way, please. The tour is about to start.
2: Welcome, everyone. I am your damn guide, Arnie. Now, I'm about to take you through a fully functioning power plant. So please, no one wander off the damn tour. And please take all the damn pictures you want. Now, are there any damn questions? Yeah, we're going to get some damn bait.
0: All right, guys, welcome to the Hoover Dam. I bet you guys didn't know you'd be traveling in sightseeing today. Well, sight listening. Physically, the Hoover Dam is a massive concrete arch gravity dam measuring 660 feet thick at its base and wide enough at its crest that traffic on old US-93 coursed right over its top. Some 726 feet into the canyon below, or the equivalent of a 60-story building, the Colorado River lies, tamed behind this great concrete wedge. Its base is as wide as two football fields are long.
3: I always call it massive. Sometimes they say huge. The Hoover Dam, one of America's most famous landmarks. Completed in 1935, It was the most colossal structure the modern world had ever seen. Not only was it the world's heaviest and tallest dam, it was also the largest producer of hydroelectric power. The Hoover Dam became an instant attraction and a monument to the sheer determination and courage of the 21,000 men who built it.
0: This dam stores water that irrigates 2 million acres. Not only in the rich farm fields of Southern California's Imperial Valley, but across the state line into Arizona. The Hoover Dam generates enough hydroelectric power to serve 1.3 million people each year, providing municipal water for urban centers including Los Angeles, Phoenix, and Tucson, all while holding back floodwaters and providing storage during drought seasons. But for all of that, the Hoover Dam is much more. It is an American icon, a monument to the ingenuity of the nation's engineers and the power of its machines. Hoover Dam is a symbol of an era when urban industrial America reveled in harnessing its natural resources.
4: Hoover Dam. All the way back at the turn of the 20th century, engineers believed that the Black Canyon and nearby Boulder Canyon had some serious potential to support a dam that could produce hydroelectric power, and the Colorado River was the ideal water source. It was the perfect storm for such a grand project. And in 1928, this proposal became a reality. By 1936, the Hoover Dam was completed in its entirety, an impressive two years ahead of schedule.
0: Now, you might not think that there's anything really creepy about the Hoover Dam, but my dear, you would be very incorrect. Over the years, the Hoover Dam has sparked many scary stories, conspiracies, urban legends, and tales of true hauntings. One of the most well-known urban legends tied to the Hoover Dam is that there are human bodies mixed within the concrete. Other stories range from haunted nearby locations to end-of-the-world prophecies, So thank you to Cassandra Seymour, because today we're gonna take a look at all of this and we'll decide, is the Hoover Dam as terrifying as it's made out to be? Or is it nothing but a simple dam? Let's figure this damn thing out.
4: This project remains one of the finest examples of American engineering. There are numerous interesting stories that surround the Hoover Dam. But perhaps the most interesting stories are related to construction workers. Even after 80 years, stubborn myths still cling to the colossal construction effort that built Hoover Dam. Despite what you may have heard, no workers are entombed in the concrete structure.
0: An old urban legend alleges that workers who fell into wet cement are entombed in the dam itself. While this myth is not true, this myth would actually make the dam structurally unsound, there were between 96 and 112 people who did die during the Hoover Dam's construction. So one can see where these rumors would stem from. The cause of their collective demise varied and included accidental falls and equipment accidents. So obviously, with proof that so many people did die during the construction of the Hoover Dam, there's basis for people to start this rumor or, you know, alleged urban legend that so many people were just entombed into the concrete because so many did truly pass away during the construction. However, it is just simply a myth. Now, although that creepy urban legend is not true, I've got some very creepy stuff that is very true from the beginning of the Hoover Dam.
4: The official death toll from industrial accidents during construction of the Hoover Dam is 96, but historians agree that the actual figure almost certainly is higher. Possibly the most shocking story that surrounds this power station begins with a man named John Gregory Tierney. He was born in 1885 in Piedmont, Missouri. John Gregory made his career as a hard rock miner. His work carried him to Idaho, then Arizona, and finally to a survey camp on the bank of the Colorado River in Boulder Canyon. This unfortunate man drowned on December 20th, 1922 while looking for an ideal spot for the dam. It took almost two weeks for news of his death to reach Las Vegas from the remote work site. Newspapers offered differing accounts of what happened, but the endings were the same. JG disappeared into the water, and his body was never found. John Gregory's son, Patrick William Tierney, was 12 when he lost his father to the Colorado and his grief-stricken mother moved with him back to Missouri. They settled in the Springfield area where Patrick went to high school and met his future wife. Not long after Patrick and his wife welcomed their son in 1931, the young family headed west in search of work in the deepening depression. The dam was the biggest construction project going and Patrick may have thought he could parlay sympathy over his father's death into a job there. According to newspaper accounts, an electrician's helper fell 320 feet from one of the two intake towers on the Arizona side of the stream on December 20th, 1935. This was the last death on the project's official fatality list. What's shocking is that this electrician's helper was Patrick Tierney. His father's death was the first death caused by this massive construction project, and Patrick's death was the very last death before the dam started to work. This incredible story is still being told by tour guides to those who decide to visit this magnificent power plant.
0: I don't know about you, but to me, that is a really fucking bizarre coincidence. The father of the very last person to pass away on record during construction was the very first person to pass away on record. Like that, that's fucking creepy, right? I mean, you could call it a coincidence, but...
5: Coincidence? I think not!
0: Now let's talk about something else that happened during the construction of the dam. 42 workers passed away from pneumonia, or that's what is the official story. However, other workers allegedly state that this was actually a cover-up by the construction company. The company was covering up the fact that these workers actually passed away due to carbon monoxide poisoning. They stated this so that they wouldn't have to pay any damages due to the work-related incidences that happened due to the carbon monoxide poisoning. Some evidence does back up the fact that these workers may not have passed away from pneumonia simply because nobody in the nearby town showed any symptoms of pneumonia, which is very suspicious because the workers who were on the construction site lived in that nearby town, and there were no cases of pneumonia. That was a little weird given the official story. All right, now I gotta tell you guys about a very real ghost town. Originally founded in 1865 by Mormon settlers, the tiny town of St. Thomas, Nevada, was eventually drowned after the building of the Hoover Dam. But now, the dramatically disappearing waters of Lake Mead have lowered and the town's ruins have reappeared. Consisting of farms and businesses put in place by pioneers looking to tame the West, the town reached a population of 500 citizens at its peak. When the Mormon settlers established the settlement, they thought that they were building their own town in Utah, but within a few years, a survey placed their town in Nevada. Now that a new town had appeared in its borders, the state of Nevada decided to levy taxes against the residents, including owed taxes from the previous year. This led to them not being able to pay the gold to the state that they were demanding, and the town was abandoned in 1871. This led to other people moving into the abandoned properties after the Mormon settlers moved to Utah. However, once the Hoover Dam was built, the nearby Colorado River began to swell, and soon the town had to be abandoned once again as the waters overtook it. The government went in there in 1935 and told them they needed to get the fuck out.
5: And in case your ears are fucked, Get the fuck out! By
0: 1938, the town was no longer habitable, and soon it was completely submerged beneath the newly created Lake Mead. In June of 1938, the final remaining resident of St. Thomas set fire to his home before getting into his boat and rowing away. Talk about a dramatic exit, my guy. Now, after rampant water consumption has drastically lowered the level of Lake Mead, the remains of St. Thomas are beginning to surface. Buildings, foundations, and chimneys are beginning to rise above the water, reminding visitors of the town that once was. And there you have that, the story of St. Thomas, Nevada, the town below Lake Mead.
1: Our story rests at the bottom of the lake, where at its depth, there lies a fascinating archeological relic that is evidence to an unlikely period in American history. Lake Mead National Recreation Area is surrounded by nearby military bases and testing ranges. From Nellis and Creech Air Force bases to the Nevada Test and Training Range, the park has had a decades-long partnership with America's military. In 1948, that relationship became a formal part of our park story. The isolated desert location made it an ideal testing site for top-secret government operations. During the Cold War's infancy, the United States military began test runs on a modified B-29 Superfortress. A giant of the skies. The model has seen extensive action in the Pacific theater of World War II and delivered the knockout blow from the famed Enola Gay. In 1948, with nuclear threats between the US and Russia beginning to escalate, the heavy bomber was an ideal candidate to research and field test new weapons technologies.
2: The concept was to have a device inside the B-29 called the Sun Tracker. The Sun Tracker would measure how light passes through an optical design and where that was eventually going to lead to as missile guidance system. So it really helped develop the Sidewinder missile in particular. So on that particular day, the the crew was flying and conducting these upper atmospheric tests. They would start at 30,000 feet. They would fly at different levels. And then finally, the chief scientist of the mission that day told the pilot to quote, fly as low as possible. And uh, the pilot took that a little too close to heart.
1: The flying conditions couldn't be more perfect. A beautiful, clear, calm and sunny day with minimal wind. But as the plane descended, the glass conditions from the lake's smooth surface reflected sunlight back towards the pilot's cockpit, making it extremely difficult to properly gauge altitude. To make matters worse, the plane's altimeter was not properly calibrated, rendering it useless. Traveling at speeds of 250 miles per hour, the crew wouldn't realize their mistake until it was too late.
2: plane hit, it actually skimmed like a rock off the surface of the lake. And it went about another half mile, kind of pancaked over and then settled on the lake. It lost uh, its number one and number three and number four engines on the crash. The crew was inside. There was five individuals.
1: The five-member crew escaped from the sinking B-29 into rescue rafts. Aside from one broken arm, they would all miraculously walk away unscathed.
0: The crew of that wreck is much more lucky than a wreck that happened earlier on. On May 16, 1943, Howard Hughes was conducting a test flight of an experimental seaplane when it suddenly nosedived and crashed into Lake Mead in Nevada. The plane's propeller snapped, slicing through the fuselage and into the head of mechanic Richard Felt before embedding itself in the plane and knocking William Kiko Klein, an inspector for the Civil Aeronautics Administration, into the lake william klein's body has never been found howard hughes received a severe blow to the head but managed to escape with his co-pilot richard felt along with another engineer before the plane ended up sinking they were rescued but felt died two days later the los angeles times described the plane as a quote large twin engine experimental flying boat and went on to say that it was in the process of being tested for caa approval before being delivered to the army corps of Engineers. Many people wonder what caused the plane to nosedive and how was Howard so lucky in managing to survive? For those of you who are unaware of who Howard Hughes is, let me fill you in. Howard Hughes was an American businessman, an investor, a record-setting pilot, engineer, film director, and philanthropist, known during his lifetime as one of the most financially successful individuals in the world. He set a record for flying around
6: the world. During the 1930s, Hughes started seriously pursuing his passion for flying. In 1932, he created the Hughes Aircraft Company, which would later become a major aerospace and defense contractor. He used his planes to set a series of aviation records, the most notable of which was his record for circumnavigating the globe in three days, 19 hours, and 17 minutes.
0: He also had some secrets.
6: He killed a pedestrian. In July of 1936, when Hughes was 30, he struck and killed a pedestrian in Los Angeles. A witness said that Hughes had been driving erratically, and that the pedestrian was on the side of the road, waiting at a bus stop. Hughes was booked on suspicion of negligent homicide. A doctor determined he was sober, although it was noted that he had been drinking. The following day, the witness suddenly changed their story to say that the pedestrian had actually stepped in front of the car. The passenger who was in the car with Hughes, Nancy Bailey, corroborated the story. Five days after the pedestrian was killed, it was determined that Hughes was not at fault for the death. Hughes told reporters, I was driving slowly and a man stepped out of the darkness in front of me. He killed two people in a plane crash. In 1943, Hughes spent about a month test-flying his Sikorsky S-43 amphibian aircraft. In May 1943, he took a test flight with actress Ava Gardner, two CAA aviation inspectors, and two of his employees. After dropping off Gardner in Las Vegas, Hughes crashed the plane into Lake Mead, killing CAA inspector Ciso Klein and his employee Richard Felt. Hughes also suffered a severe gash on his head. He paid divers $100,000 to retrieve the aircraft and then spent more than $500,000 restoring it.
0: I don't know, seems a little suspicious to me. Okay, so now you know that the Hoover Dam has a pretty dark past, but we're gonna fast forward it to something more recent. I'd like to introduce to you the story of, of Neil
3: Falls in the case of an Oregon man, investigators think may be linked to murders and missing women all around the country. He
1: was killed in West Virginia and detectives now say he had some form of police contact in at least 20 states. Our Cole Miller learned more tonight from those who knew him though in Oregon. Cole, what'd you find out? Yeah,
5: well, we found out that he lived as close as Albany, Oregon for at least two years. Now he was there until 2001. The landlord there though couldn't remember much other than saying Falls worked as a security guard and lived in the basement. Tonight take a listen to the 911 call from when he was killed.
4: She had to send herself and she saw yeah. him. She in the
6: kitchen. He pulled a gun on her. She's got cuts and
1: stuff all over.
5: Her first name is Heather. She says 45-year-old Neil Falls from Springfield, Oregon, tried killing her. She ended up killing him with his own gun. Investigators found a slew of weapons in his SUV, including knives, axes, a shovel, trash bags, bleach, and a bulletproof vest. Lieutenant Steve Cooper was the detective on the scene. He's with the Charleston, West Virginia police.
3: What comes to mind when you look at those items is
4: that this is a serial killer kit.
5: Though Falls has been questioned or interviewed in at least 20 states, we checked in Oregon and found he only had a few minor traffic infractions. Falls also lived in Eugene. We heard today from his former roommate and landlord.
1: The first thing that he did that was a little odd was he immediately changed the deadbolt to his own so that he only he had a key and he said he had guns and weapons and that he was a security guard now
5: falls is being looked at in nine murders and disappearances in three other states he also lived in las vegas for eight years working at the hoover dam there when four other escorts disappeared three were found dismembered had heather that escort in west virginia not killed falls police worry what could have happened next
3: i believe that heather saved lives and uh, hopefully
4: we'll be able to, to bring some closure to some other families too.
0: Neil Falls was killed by Heather Saul on July 18, 2015 in Charleston, West Virginia. Neal had made arrangements to meet with her through the website Backpage. Upon arriving, he immediately asked Heather if she wanted to, quote, live or die. This led to the two struggling for some time, after which Heather ended up grabbing Neil's gun, shooting him, saving her own life, and what many believe others as well. When law enforcement arrived on the scene, they searched Neil's car and found what they called a kill kit. Inside his car were axes, a machete, knives, a shovel, a sledgehammer, bleach, plastic trash bags, and a bulletproof vest. The car also had a tub or container that was large enough to fit a body inside. On his person, Neil himself had four separate pairs of handcuffs, a post-it with a list of six other women, and a gun. Police were able to track down the women on his list and found out they were all completely safe. All of the evidence found on Neal and in his vehicle led the Charleston Police Department to believe a possible serial killer had been stopped.
2: Police in West Virginia seem to have quite the case on their hands. A man killed by a woman he attacked in her home may have been a serial killer himself. Mark Albert spoke with investigators who believe the dead man may be connected to murders in three states police say 45 year old neil
3: falls was answering an online ad for an escort when he showed up to this charleston west virginia home this woman heather who doesn't want her last name used answered the door she says falls armed with this gun asked her live or die and then started choking her
0: when he strangled me um, he just wouldn't let me get any air, and so I grabbed my rake, and when he laid
6: the gun down to get the rake out of my hands, I I shot him. I just grabbed the gun and shot behind me.
3: Heather ran out of the house and flagged down a neighbor who called 911.
6: She had to defend herself, and she shot him. She's in the kitchen. He pulled a gun on her. He's got cuts and stuff all over.
3: Inside Falls's car, detectives found a machete, axes, knives, a shovel and a sledgehammer, bleach, plastic trash bags, a bulletproof vest and four sets of handcuffs. Now, police are investigating whether he could be connected to the murder or disappearance of nine women across three states.
0: Let's talk about Neil Falls' possible victims. Misty Marie Scenes. Misty was a 25-year-old sex worker in Las Vegas when she went missing in March of 2003. Her torso was recovered on March 6, 2003 off State Route 159. It was found in black plastic bags and bed sheets. The torso was not identified as belonging to Misty through DNA for two years. Next, we have Jody Brewer. Jody was a 19-year-old when she went missing on August 14, 2003. She was a sex worker in Las Vegas who had dreams of opening up her own beauty salon someday. The last time Judy was seen alive was at Harbor Island Club Apartments on East Harmon Avenue. A witness reported they saw Jody get into a white car with California tags. Her torso was discovered in San Bernardino, California on August 29, 2003. It was wrapped in a tarp 25 miles south of Nevada-California border and her remains were identified by her tattoos. Next is Lindsay Marie Harris. Lindsay was 21 years old when she vanished from the Las Vegas area in May of 2005. She was originally from New York but had moved to Nevada. Lindsay left her boyfriend a message on May 6th when she was walking to the Luxor Casino. She was last seen walking north on Las Vegas Boulevard between 4 and 5 a.m. Then, on May 21st, 2005, legs belonging to Lindsay were found discovered in Illinois. The legs had no signs of decomp. The nails were still painted and Lindsay's tattoos were still intact. Three years after the legs were found, DNA matched them to Lindsay. The rest of her remains have never been recovered. Next up, we have Jessie Foster. Jessie was 21 years old when she went missing from Las Vegas in 2006. She left her home in Canada in April of 2005. After a short visit to New Jersey, she ended up in Las Vegas. Her family believes that she has been sex trafficked. Jessie's family last spoke to her on March 28, 2006. Her estranged boyfriend reported on April 3rd that she had left the apartment. She has not been seen ever since. There has been no activity on her social media, credit cards, or her bank account. When Jessie went missing, she was 5'6 and 120 pounds. She had blonde hair and hazel eyes. At the time, her left nostril and right eyebrow were pierced. She had two piercings in her left ear and her right ear had three. And those are some of the suspected victims of Neil Falls, the security guard serial killer who once worked at the Hoover Dam. Now it's time to tell you about the old Boulder City Hospital.
1: We heard a noise that we couldn't quite explain and uh, we tried to follow it to its source and unfortunately uh, we just couldn't and...
4: Do you hear that? There it is again.
0: You hear that? What the in the episode Hoover Damned, ghost hunters on sci fi went out to this facility in hopes that they could catch some sort of paranormal activity. In the episode, Mona Young, president of I Am Free Incorporated, had moved into the former hospital, wondering if the building was safe for her organization's community outreach programs. She talked about the fact that people would hear groanings and moanings and other reported lights turning on, doors opening, and that new flashlights would just stop working. Another young resident of the facility recalled waking up one night after feeling her toes being tickled and seeing two shadow figures. We
3: had all these claims of activity. People have
1: heard groanings and moanings and seen tall beings in the rooms.
0: I saw two shadow figures on the side of my bed. Something is very frightening in there. In this episode, they focus on the builder dam workers who may have maliciously been diagnosed with pneumonia despite actually suffering from carbon monoxide poisoning. You guys remember that. Told you about it earlier. Jason Haas does hear what sounds like a female voice coming through his two-way radio, even though none of them are in use at the time. Dave Tango also got rattled when a door opened by itself and he heard footsteps.
4: They're wanting some answers about the building in terms of its safety.
0: Oh, did you hear that?
2: What's that?
6: The door then started creaking slightly ajar, and nothing was there. You're kidding
2: me, right?
1: The hair is raised on the back of your neck, and you want to get out of there.
5: Uh, Well, good morning, folks. Uh, We are in Boulder City, Nevada, and we are here at the uh, old... uh, Boulder City Hotel, and uh, now part of it is a museum, and it's gonna have to do with uh, the building of uh, Boulder Dam. So I thought we would go inside and just see what we can find out. So let's do that.
0: The Boulder Dam Hotel was originally designed and constructed in 1933. It was to accommodate official visitors, dignitaries, and guests during the construction of the Boulder, now Hoover, Dam. This two-story concrete block hotel was originally in a U design. However, wings have been added over the years, turning the building into an H shape. The colonial revival style of the hotel was designed by Henry Smith and is currently listed on the National Register of Historic Places. And a fun little fact about this hotel is Howard Hughes used it as his home while he was recuperating from his little Lake Mead plane crash in 1943. The hotel was purchased by Boulder Dam Hotel Association in 1933. Major renovations in 2000, at a cost of over $2 million, reduced the number of guest rooms to increase the amount of common area for guests to enjoy. The hotel still retains the charm and style of its 1930s-era hotel look. However, it may also retain some of its former guests as well, as the Boulder Dam Hotel is considered to be quite haunted. One former employee reported hearing the sound of laughing, talking, and music emanating from the ballroom and restaurant when they were both closed. Then, on another occasion, a strong scent of cigar smoke wafted nearby. This same employee experienced the sound of water running as he walked by one of the bathrooms, and after investigating and leaving, the door slammed shut behind him. He also stated that on several occasions he reportedly would be working down in the basement and the elevator doors would suddenly open on their own for no reason. One guest also reported feeling a heaviness as she explored the lobby, something she said that made her feel unwelcome on the premise. Others have reported paranormal activity including feelings of ghostly hands on one's shoulders as well as ghostly hands protruding through the floors and grabbing guest and employees' ankles. There is also a legend that former night clerk Tommy Thompson is one of the hotel's many ghosts. Tommy Thompson is believed to haunt the lobby area, often being seen there by many, many people. For those of you curious which rooms have the most alleged paranormal activity, that would be rooms 209 and 219. According to so many, the Hoover Dam Hotel is chalked full of paranormal activity. If you've ever stayed there and you've had an experience, please write the podcast and let me know. The hotel, in my opinion, looks absolutely breathtaking inside and really still holds on to that old charm. And apparently, it's old guests as well.
3: Means come to an end. I don't know. I've drunk. I tried to drown myself to death. I tried to drink with myself to death. It didn't quite work out. I've tried to get hit by a train. That was just too scary. But I think the ultimate suicide would fall off here. I can't think of anywhere else to tell. We want to do that. Doesn't look very high. Very high up here. I got to live for. No one cares about me. No one loves me. I've lost everyone I've loved. They've have all, all gone. People die. People age. I don't want to grow old. Be 80 years old. I just want to leave this life. Best way to do it. Go over here. But there's no water, so it's gonna to have to be a quick kill. Well, I guess this is it.
6: Denise Spital here for 702.TV. We're poised over what has been called the eighth wonder of the world, the Hoover Dam. It is a majestic wall, but where there are towering heights, there is the inevitable tragic soul, the
0: suicide jumper. Hoover Dam police usually deal with about three to four suicides per year. Death by suicide is never a pleasant topic. Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. In 2019, 47,511 Americans died by suicide. Also in 2019, there were an estimated over 1 million suicide attempts. Many who take their lives do so in order to escape the mental anguish of coping with their day-to-day life. As somebody who once tried to take her own life, I know how difficult it can be. They often begin to state that they no longer feel like life has meaning. Their drive and will to live are constantly being challenged by their demons in their head and it seems like it's impossible to ignore. An anonymous person once said that suicide happens when the mental pain of living outweighs the fear of dying. Most suicide victims do complete the act in solitary fashion away from crowds or special places. There is a minority, however. This minority wants that final act to have some sort of significance and seek out a famous site or landmark that can facilitate their death. Such landmarks are sought because of their high visibility and notoriety, at least according to experts. According to a psychologist in St. Paul by the name of Sandra Sanger, there is a certain appeal to committing suicide in a place of significance, a romanticism that goes along with it. There is also a collective sense of connection with other people in the last moments right before suicide occurs. Alan Berman, the executive director of the American Association of Suicidology, calls such places, quote, suicide landmarks. Notable landmarks from around the world are the Eiffel Tower and the Okiagara Forest in Japan, otherwise known as the Suicide Forest at the base of Mount Fuji. In the United States, sites frequently used to commit suicide include the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, California, Niagara Falls, the Empire State Building, the George Washington Bridge in New York, and the Hoover Dam. The Hoover Dam and the Bypass Bridge are world-renowned for their architectural beauty and engineering excellence. The top of the dam is located in a deep gorge and is 720 feet above the Colorado River. The bridge is located 1,500 feet downstream from the dam and is 200 feet higher. The Bureau of Reclamation, as would be expected, is reluctant to discuss the issue of suicide. Firstly, because suicides represent bad publicity for the dam. This dam is a frequent site for tourists looking for something interesting and pleasurable to do during the day to escape the vices and excesses of the Strip of Las Vegas. So suicides wouldn't exactly be a great topic to mention. Also, the Bureau hopes that by downplaying such occurrences, it will discourage others from seeking out the area for that sole purpose of ending their life. The officials at the dam have gone so far as to let the state know that they do not know how many people have jumped off of the dam and that they don't keep records of such events at all. This does seem completely unreasonable since the administrators of the dam must surely have to submit quarterly and yearly reports covering all activities that take place at the dam. In compliance with the Bureau's line of reasoning in this matter, the local Las Vegas news media has in the past only given passing notice of suicides at the dam, and follow-up reports are very sketchy at best. So what do we know about the prevalence of suicides and attempts at the Hoover Dam then? If you ask a tour guide or a spokesperson for the Bureau, they will simply state, uh, it's rare, and the numbers are very vague. Or they even go on to say that they're not allowed to divulge such information. There is an unnamed source that states that in 1936, when the dam was completed and opened for tours, approximately 100 people had perished by suicide. Another official places the number in the 20s. There is a bureau representative that is quoted as saying that the dam has seen 35 deaths from 1962 to 2010. However, a regional security manager stated that there had been 30 deaths by suicide since the dam was completed. The last reported death occurred in October 2012. Based on these numbers, suicides at the dam itself are relatively few. If you compare the numbers that we have at the dam compared to places like the Golden Gate Bridge, where since its opening in 1937, it has seen more than 1600 documented deaths that are on record, its figures do seem relatively low. But here's the question. Is it only so low because people can jump with being unwitnessed from the bridge and because of how high the location is and where they could land and what happens to you as you fall? their bodies are never recovered. Therefore, maybe they're just missing to this day. There is a pedestrian walkway that allows visitors to walk across the entire length of the bridge over the Hoover Dam. Due to the bridge's more recent history and this era of aggressive news reporting, the bridge offers a better model for accurate documentation of suicide attempts. For the first 18 months after the bridge opened, there were no reports of suicide. Then, starting in April of 1912, there was a series of four suicides over a three-month period. The last known suicide was May 2013. So far, six people have decided to end their lives by leaping from the bridge. It has always been the intention of the Hoover Dam and the Bureau of Reclamation that the visitors enjoy their stay at the dam. And that includes the bridge to their absolute fullest. For this reason, in spite of the occasional suicide activity at the dam, there has been no effort to place barriers or safety nets at the top edge of the dam. This would simply, well, mess the view up for either side. Not to mention the very presence of such precautions would likely evoke alarm and fear in those who are out on a pleasant tour. However, due to a rash of suicides at the dam in the year 2000, dam security personnel were given training in suicide prevention and intervention. They have since aggressively responded to potential suicide attempts and often effectively. In January of 2014, a woman jumped to her death from the Hoover Dam bypass bridge. A Boulder City woman was taking pictures of the sunset and noticed a woman standing on the bridge just before she mysteriously disappeared. If I had only known she was going to do this, I would have definitely tried to help her. 46-year-old Francesca Bosco captured an image of the woman in what would be the final moments of her life. The body of a woman, later identified by the Clark County Coroner as 42-year-old Phoenix resident Heather Papayoti, was recovered from the river early that week. The coroner listed the cause of death as multiple blunt force impact to the chest, pelvis, and lower extremities. Her death was ultimately ruled as suicide from falling. Though we don't know the true number of suicides that happened at the dam, we are very well aware of the fact that many attempts do occur. Chopper 13 fast and first over a scene unfolding today near the Hoover Dam. This was the scene
1: from the air near the Hoover Dam as police shut down the Michael Callahan Pat Tillman bridge
0: as a woman threatened to jump and the incident caused quite a traffic nightmare. All right, now I know we've been talking about suicide for a minute. Let me change this up and let you guys hear another story that made news headlines about the Hoover Dam. I feel like I want to call this one Florida Man.
1: British man is becoming a viral sensation for all the wrong reasons. He became the first person to swim across the Hoover Dam.
3: Yeah, not the brightest bulb here, Mm -hmm. should we say. Uh, He escaped being dragged under during his 30 minute swim only because nine of its 10 hydroelectric turbines were off at the time. Well, Aaron Hughes was eventually arrested and also fined some $330. Police apparently are calling him the luckiest man alive, Mm. Uh, but not a smart, smart move. I mean, it's pretty, pretty dumb.
0: Now, for those of you wondering what exactly would happen if you jumped from the Hoover Dam, don't worry. I've got that for you. From the highway at the top, the water level is going to vary between 20 feet and 200 feet or even more, depending on the time of year. It is nearly vertical with a slight overhang, so with a good jump, you would likely hit the edge. Most of the time of the year, the initial jump would not be immediately fatal. With this said, you would fall into water, usually over 100 feet for anyone not trained. This could easily break limbs if you don't know how you're landing, separate joints, knock you out, etc. This would lead to you most likely drowning because if anything like that happens, you cannot swim or move your body. At least not in the way you're gonna need to because that water isn't as calm as you might think. So let's say you survive the fall and you know what, you can still swim. The intake towers are good distance from you. At least they're over by the edge. Due to their large height, they have to kind of be separated and do not cause a very strong pull unless you intentionally swim towards them or happen to land for some reason due to strong winds over near one any reasonable swimmer could make it to shore. That is a fact. And as we know, now an actual story. The ledge, however, is very steep. So there's going to be some issues with climbing out. However, I'm sure by that time, there's going to be some people that would love to help you out and into some handcuffs. Hey guys, I want to talk to you for a second. I know I've been talking. This is a podcast. That's what I do here, but I want to be real with you. I know that there is a huge chance that somebody listening to this podcast right now is struggling with suicidal thoughts. I know it's easy for me to say, but please, if you need help, reach out. Listen, as somebody that survived my very own murder attempt of myself, I promise life is worth living. For anyone who needs to hear it, I love you and I'm proud of you.
5: I'm so tired. I can't shut my brain off. I'm so stressed out. I need sleep. I wish it would just stop. What's wrong with me? I need help. I don't want to make anything. it stop. I'm a loser. Why does no one like I need me? Please just text me back. I need help. i no no one not me. anymore. My calls not work. Make it stop. Make it stop. I need help. Make it stop. Make
6: it stop.
3: I just can't do this. Anymore. I can't ask for help. No one would
5: understand. I don't know what to do. I just want to end it.
1: I think I need help.
5: You're worthless. You're a loser.
2: Stop! Stop! Make it stop! Somebody help me! Uh.
1: Not every cry for help is loud. So listen.
5: It's okay if you're not okay. You're not alone. Don't be afraid to ask for help.
0: To anyone who may need it, the suicide prevention hotline number is 1-800-273-8255. There's always time to get help. Before you make a permanent choice to a temporary feeling, please reach out and get help. I love you, and I'm proud of you.
5: We interrupt our program to bring you this important
6: message.
0: This podcast would not be possible without the help of my sponsors. I'd like to take a second to tell you guys about them. First up is Doom and Groom. Doom and Groom is a craft hair, skin, beard, and tattoo care company based in Denver, Colorado. Their oils, balms, butters, and pomades are great for use from head to toe. These products are guaranteed to keep your hair and skin healthy and hydrated. All of their products are unisex, dye-free, chemical-free, plastic-free, and organic. I do personally use their products and highly recommend them. If you're curious what Doom and Groom has to offer, head on over to doomandgroom.net. If you find something you're interested in, use the promo code HARMONY for 10% off your purchase. And again, thank you Doom and Groom for working with me and allowing me to continue to create this content by helping me pay my bills. Truly appreciate you guys. Now I'd like to tell you guys about Fiji Tree of Life. Fiji is a veteran-based company concerned with the promotion and responsible cannabis distribution and cultivation. Lately, there's been a lot of buzz about Delta-8 in the cannabis industry. It has become so popular because of its similarity to THC. THC is the main compound in cannabis that gets you high. This is what causes the euphoria, happiness, sedation, and symptom relief, along with so much more. Large amounts of THC are found in majority of cannabis strains. Delta-8 and Delta-9 are both forms of THC. In common usage, when people refer to THC, they are talking about Delta-9 THC. However, currently the legality of Delta-8 is hazy. And by that, I mean it is completely legal. You see, Delta-8 can be extracted either from hemp or cannabis. Because of a 2018 farm bill, hemp can be legally grown and used for extractions all over the United States making Delta-8 legal in states where Delta-9 is still illegal. Head on over to FijiTreeOfLife.com and check out their Delta-8 products. And for those of you wondering, does Delta-8 get you high? That does depend on your tolerance. I can also tell you from my own personal experience that I absolutely can still feel the same high of THC, just not as intense. I personally very much do recommend the use of Delta-8. However, there are other products over on Fiji Tree of Life as well if you are curious. They do have CBD flower and lotions, along with infused oils and more. If you're curious and want to check it out, head on over to FijiTreeOfLife.com. And if anything tickles your fancy, use my promo code HARMONY for 10% off of your order. The promo code, I'm sorry, does not apply to any of the electronic vehicles but everything else on there is fair game. So once again, head on over to FijiTreeOfLife.com and use my promo code Harmony for any of the amazing products on there. Again, except for the electric vehicles. Sorry. And I want to say thank you to Fiji Tree of Life. Thank you for having such amazing products and extending such a great deal to the listeners of this podcast. Now back
1: to
5: the show. Ever since First Man has walked this earth, I have been here. He whispers seeds of doubt and evil thoughts into his ear. I am the beast, the outcast angel fallen from on high. I go by many names, but there is one you can't
0: deny. My name is Satan. Obviously, this wouldn't be a What the Actual F episode if there wasn't mention of the occult. Is the Hoover Dam a landmark of Satanic symbolism? Well, according to one theory, y- yeah, it is. Conspiracy theorists believe that the Hoover Dam is a landmark of satanic symbolism and that this all is going to lead up to some impending event. Did I mention that Madonna is part of this theory as well? So let me tell you about how the Hoover Dam is possibly playing a role in the downfall of our society. Oh yeah, put on the tinfoil hats guys, we're diving in. In May of 2015, Köln FC, a German soccer team, had their logo projected onto the Hoover Dam. Their logo is a goat that is mounting a red circle that is encompassing two towers. Many people state that this logo bears a striking resemblance to Baphomet. I don't see it, but many people do. I think because it's a goat, they just assume it's obviously Baphomet. For those of you who don't know, Baphomet is a goat symbol that the Knights Templar was accused of worshiping. Now, officials for the dam say that they allowed this to happen because they like the soccer team. And there's plenty of space, so why couldn't they put the logo up? Clearly, they don't want to admit to the fact that it was all for satanic worship. I'm sorry, I don't know what was happening there. I got caught up in the moment. They did say that they used the image to test out their new projector in the Hoover Dam. And this ended up breaking a Guinness Book World Record. It broke the record for being the largest projection at 39,000 square feet. Now, the theorists say that it's really weird that they would use this logo or this team, you know, it's German, and this is an American landmark, plus, you know, the whole goat thing, I don't know. But they say it's a little weird, especially since this image did lead to a Guinness Book World Record being broken. Because it's a goat, obviously it has ties to devil worship, so ah, Satan is involved. People wonder, why did they have to go with this logo and this team? Why couldn't they do like a president's face? Why couldn't they do something that has to do with the Hoover Dam or just something that is America-based? It sounds like people just bitching and not happy. But their big thing is, why was the honor given to this German team instead of something that is American-based? Is this suspicious? I don't think so. But you can disagree. That's totally fine. I have no say at the Hoover Dam, so clearly my opinion doesn't matter and yours shouldn't either, but you're more than welcome to have one. Now, this isn't the only thing that people say that makes it come off very satanic. There also seems to be some satanic symbolism in the statues. Many people state that the statues that surround the Hoover Dam depict that of Lucifer, the known fallen angel. I say that because if you guys know your history about the Bible and what happened, many angels fell. Lucifer is just the most well-known. It is also claimed that the location of the dam itself, when you look at it overhead, looks like Satan. Again, I don't see it. I can see where maybe someone could loosely think that it is the head of Satan. But honestly, it's really reaching because I just don't really see it. But who knows, look it up, maybe you will. If you squint really hard, maybe. Now let's talk about Madonna's role in this. Now, Madonna uses a ton of religious symbolism in her like acts when she performs her music and on stage. And in her music videos, she's very well known for this attribute in her theatrics of performance. But did you also know that Madonna is a powerful member of the Illuminati? <laughs> Plenty of claims that Madonna is pulling a bunch of strings in the music industry and is basically just a very big evil person in the Illuminati. Many people were up in arms about the fact that she invoked Baphomet imagery in the 2015 Grammys. She also did the same thing in the 2012 Super Bowl performance as well, completely mimicking the Baphomet statue symbolism itself and then standing up on a golden throne. Some say the stance that she did looks identical to the Hoover Dam. This leads conspiracy theorists to state that this is part of Revelations 12. This tells of a woman giving birth to Christ while Satan is waiting. They go on to compare the images of the event to what Madonna has done. Now let's talk about Hollywood. In the movie San Andreas, the Hoover Dam is shown blowing up. Also in an episode of Mike Tyson's Unsolved Mysteries.
4: It's me, Mike Tyson, here to look at next week's episode of Mike Tyson Mysteries on Adult Swim. Oh uh, Snoop, I don't know how I'm gonna say this, but man, solving mysteries is kinda like, um, you know, my thing. That's cool. I hear you, but um, I solve unsolved situations.
5: So that's totally different. Mike, we cool, right?
4: Yeah, um, unsolved situations is different than mysteries. Yeah,
0: um. Yeah, so obviously, just like a few episodes ago, you know, anything you see in an animated show is definitely real. And anything you see in Hollywood obviously is very real too. So because the Hoover Dam was seen exploding and being destroyed in these two scenarios that are absolutely fake, It is stated that this is possibly foreshadowing real events to come. But I mean, if you ask me, I'm just gonna say this right now. I think that's just making for entertainment, you know, something to put as filler in movies or shows, dramaticism,
4: ah! It's very real. You know how I know? Because I saw it on TV.
0: Well, there we have it, guys. That is everything I have on the Hoover Dam. Again, I wanna give a big shout out to Cassie. Thank you so much. This episode is entirely possible because of you. I really hope everybody enjoyed this episode. And Cassie, I really hope I did exactly what you were wanting. Thank you so much for sending me all of the information that you did. It really made it easy to find exactly what I needed and where I needed to go. If you have anything you'd like me to look into, send an email to what whattheactualeffharmony at gmail.com. You can also follow me or reach out to me on TikTok and Instagram by the handle oh hey it's harmony. I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode as I genuinely enjoyed looking into this topic. Wait, can I say it? I genuinely enjoyed looking into this damn topic. <laughs> I know I'm not funny. I don't know why you guys put up with me. But you continue to put up with me and you come back here every week to do so. And thank you for that. I love you guys, stay safe, and I can't wait to talk to you on the next episode of What the Actual F. Until next time, goodbye guys.
6: Are you ready to sing goodbye? I am.
4: Okay. Cool. (laughs) So long, farewell, to you my friends. Goodbye, for now, until we meet.